Today, when I, when I begin uh, studying for this message, I, I begin to kind of contemplate an idea, uh, and it's based on a question I get a lot, and that is like, uh, hey, Pastor Scott, do you, you want to, how, how big do we want to get? You know, because everybody kind of wants a small church feel. I think most people do. Uh, the pastors always want big churches filled with lots of people. But most people, I think they want kind of a small church feel. They want to sort of know people and uh, then, but they want like big church opportunities for their kids and for youth and things like that. But so it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, and what I always say is that, we, I, I, yeah, I do. I want to grow big, but in the right way. I want to grow big, but in the right way. And as I thought about how to articulate that, uh, and, and articulate what I, what I have as a vision for our community, I ran across a really interesting ad. Now, I'm going to show you an ad for Volkswagen in just a second, but I want to, just before I show it, number one, I don't care if you ever buy a Volkswagen, right? I don't own one. I'm not trying, this isn't, I'm not repping them. But what I do think that they do in this ad is they capture really well the difference between big and bigger, in the way that I want to kind of talk about it. So without any, like, I'm not going to go into the ad and break it down for you quite yet, but just watch it, and then we'll, we'll come back to it in a minute. So here it is. A lot of video this morning. This is something big. This is something bigger. That is big. Not as big as that. Sure, that's big. That's bigger. Big. Bigger. Bigger. Big. But that's bigger. Wow. Big. So much bigger. This is big. got this. So, so this, this is the month we're going to take a look at what it means to be on a venture, a daring journey, an adventure for Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I, I want to just sum up and say right at the very beginning is that I want a church. My vision for this church is just very simple. I want us to actively pursue God this year like we've never pursued Him before. I want us to know Him, to know about Him, to study Him, to grow in Him, to mature in Him. I want us all to be like super excited about Jesus, but at the same time, take all of that and reach our communities one by one. Knowing people, knowing Jesus, it's that simple. But it's, it's sort of not a passive thing that I'm talking about. It's not just taking in information about God, but it's transformation that changes us and leads us to this big adventure. And so um, I'm excited about it. Let me just pray and kind of guide our time together in just the next few moments as I have a discussion with you about community, about what it means to be a better, bigger community than we have been and moving forward, I just believe God is going to blow this up. And Jesus, we ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and abide in this place. I pray that you would take these words, meager as they are of mine, take them and multiply them through your word, through your truth, God, and make them uh, impactful by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with the definition of community because we can't really have a talk about it unless we sort of have a common understanding. Uh, there's lots of definitions about, uh, or I'm going to choose one. Here it is. 
definition of community is a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And so the idea with this is that you're beginning with the goals and the attitudes. That from, that community doesn't just exist on its own. It's not something that you just decide to do. But you begin with a mission. And so if you want community, you aim for mission, community follows. So think about it like this. Um, In the U.S. military, it's so much more than just a gathering of soldiers and sailors. If you've come from military backgrounds, you can kind of follow along a little bit closer and you understand what I'm saying. But there's, there's 1.3 million men and women sh- that are serving our country right now in the military. But the bond that's formed between them, it's this shared bond and it's based upon a common mission to serve and protect, right? And if that's the same with first responders, people that are police, firefighters, nurses, EMTs. They are so much more than just talented, educated people, but they get that their service is very special. And so it's in their serving that they form this tight bond of community. Their service is big, but their community and those that they're called to protect and serve, they put their lives on the line for something that's so much bigger than just their jobs. And that's one of the things that I really honor and love about both like first responders and military is that it's, it's this large mission that is so much bigger than the individual. And, and I love that about church too. And the question is, is what does all this have to do, what does a Volkswagen advertisement have to do with church? And I'm going to get to that right now. A church is a gathering of people together, and our mission, regardless of our numerical size, is big, but our mission is, brings us together, and it's so much bigger than any of us, any one of us. And our mission here as Venture Church, Candy Creek Church, is to share the gospel, the, the fact that Jesus has transformed and changed us and, and made a difference in our lives, and we can't but help tell as many people as possible. That's our mission. I mean, Jesus said it like this. If you want to know what the core of the whole thing is, what's the very center of the onion, right? If you strip it all back and get to the heart of it, it's this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love everyone else as much as you love yourself. That is the essence of the gospel. And once you get that, it begins a transformation in you. And that transformation just doesn't terminate on you. It spreads. It spreads in families. It spreads in communities. It is viral in a way that I can't explain. It's like it started 2,000 years ago, and it's still going, and you're a part of it today. And it's exciting, man. I I love to think about what the mission is for us because it's bigger than any one of us. And another way to say it is this, that Mission is the catalyst for community. That mission is that thing that gives a spark and and an energy and an ignition to community. There are so many things that in our present right now here in this moment that are big. So many things in your life that are big. So much that is, um, that's important. But right now I want to tell you about something that's even bigger than that. That's more powerful, that's more tangible, that's more eternally impacting than even what you perceive as big. And I want to, I want to, because here, I want to just say this. I don't know about you, but I want to make the biggest impact for Jesus in my life. I really do. I want to make that impact on a daily basis. And in order to do that, I have to understand what is big and what is bigger. Just going back to that commercial for a second, 
I, I love it because Volkswagen has been known for, and if you have studied marketing or advertisement, you know that their marketing campaigns are kind of famous. Going back to the 60s, they ran a couple of ads, Think Small and the famous Lemon uh, advertisement. Has anybody ever seen these before? They're really remarkable because prior to this, car companies advertised in much different ways. They were all about, look at how fast our cars are. Look at how prestigious you would be if you drove one. I mean, you know, it's the same kind of stuff that we see today. But Volkswagen kind of shook things up by saying, no, actually, what we are delivering is something that is a big thing in a small package. It's practical, it's reliable, and it's affordable. But then in 2015, something happened, and they kind of wandered away from this, and they were caught in an emissions scandal. This was just a few years ago, and about five years ago, they were caught cheating the system. They, they said that their emissions were at such a level, and it was found they were falsifying information, and there was a massive uh, break of trust, really, with their company and their consumers. And, and so it, it led to this huge problem, and it honestly, it could have obliterated Volkswagen, but it, it didn't. It forced the company to redefine their mission and reunite their efforts under the mission. And so today's VW ad campaign that you saw just a minute ago was drive bigger. And so what they say is it's not just a slogan, it's a calling. The big idea wasn't just cause less environmental impact like it was before, but their big stated goal is everywhere now to go completely carbon neutral by 2050. And that's, so they just said, that's the bigger purpose. And we want this to not be about our company, but we want it to be about something that's much, much bigger. So the VW CEO says, our biggest mistake has led to the biggest transformation in our company's history. So Volkswagen says, we want you to be a part of something big, but bigger than yourself. So that's the whole emissions thing that they're going for. But guess what, Canyon Creek? We also, as we become Venture Church, we want you to know that you are a part of something much bigger than yourselves. And it's even much bigger than driving a Volkswagen or even much bigger than saving the planet because it actually is saving the planet one by one. And by the way, I'm all for doing what you can to save the planet. It is this, that we are a, we are a church that is literally on the cusp of a, a revolution. We have always been a church on the beginning of a revolution to change and transform lives one person at a time. And so the community is this outgrowth of um, a group like us on mission. I want to do this in kind of just two, two different ways. Number one, I want to talk about what the church looked like when it first started. Not this church, but the church, capital C Church, God's Church, and what it looked like when it very first started. And then I want to look at today's culture, and let's take an honest look at and, and, and kind of like transpose those two things and see what they look like in sort of contrast to one another. First of all, what did the early church look like? Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. Just kind of some context in this. Jesus, of course, has been crucified. Uh, the believers were scattered. They were distraught, but then he, uh, he rose from the dead. He appeared to them. He walked with them. He encouraged them. They uh, placed their hands, uh, or their, they placed their hands in his nail-scarred hands, um, and they believed in Jesus. And he said, you know what you need to do? Here's, here's the battle plan. You need to stay together. You need to come together, and you need to wait on me because my Holy Spirit's going to show up, and then things will, will happen. And then he just arose, you know, at, in front of their eyes. And it must have felt just kind of weird, like, okay, Jesus, now what? You know, we're just supposed to wait? Yeah, you're just supposed to wait. That's what he said, wait. 
And you mean just we're supposed to kind of just hang out together? And yeah, hang out together. And of course, then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came in unmistakable power. And he took these people who were shy and, uh, and reticent to you know, communicate and maybe a little bit scared, and he brought them together in power. And they're like Peter got up and he preached this amazing sermon. They began to preach fearlessly about Jesus, and stuff like this happened. Like 3,000 people got added in one day. You know, I mean, that's amazing. You talk about church growth, like 3,000. Thousand. Imagine that, you know, just a small group of people. Now all of a sudden you're kind of like a small city of people and you're just trying to figure out life together. I want to, let's take a look at what that means. So imagine 3,000 people show up. What do you do next? Do you start a couple of clubs? Do you do small groups? Like how, how do you live life together? They did it in, and it's kind of amazing how they did community together. So in verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to, and there are four things, apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So those four things. Number one, teaching. That's opening the Bible, reading it, learning about Jesus. And so, you know, they wanted to know what Jesus was talking about when he said, um, I've come to forgive sins. What, what does that actually mean? And how, how are our sins forgiven? It was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number two, community, fellowship, doing life together. That's actually what the word translates into is doing life together. Uh, community, that's what it means. Breaking bread was hospitality. If you are here last week, we talked about inviting people into our home, broadening the guest list, embracing more people, being more inclusive, and that's what hospitality is all about. Breaking of bread together can mean taking the Lord's Supper together. And then they were devoted in prayer, and I love that. Without prayer, we are impotent and powerless. With prayer, we are incredibly powerful. With God, we can do all things. And so they devoted themselves to prayer. So moving on in Acts 2 uh, to verse 43, uh, let's continue to read. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day, the Lord added to them those that were being saved. They were growing. They were getting closer. They were sharing their resources. They were providing for needs. Some observations about that. I mean, first of all, you can just kind of feel the awe, right? The sense of miracles happening all the time. Things are changing the group is growing, but they're not just growing, they're getting stronger. They're deepening their understanding of the word. They're providing for needs. I love the fact that it emphasizes that they met together in unity, that they didn't forsake the gathering together of themselves. I mean, they didn't have churches, right? Not yet. So they just kind of met together at the temple, the synagogues, and they went to go pray. Their needs were met. Some had uh, resources, others didn't, and it didn't matter because if I had it and you needed it, you could, you could have it from, my, from me. And, and the Bible says that, that they were so glad that they literally had joy in the simplicity of their lives, the simplicity of heart. I mean, it's kind of almost like utopian. And I think sometimes people read this and they go, you know, wow, I wish, you know, life was more like this. And I kind of also, I wouldn't mind, you know, showing up to this kind of gathering someday in the church where everybody just kind of gives out of, you know, the, the kindness of their hearts. And then they were praising God. They were they were lifting his name up. They were having favor with all the people, and people were showing up. They liked what they saw. 
this group of people that were like they had each other's backs. They liked what they saw. And so, you know, we have grown a lot in four years as I look back to, you know, what God has done. And this incredibly generous, good, gracious God, he has grown us so much in the time that I've been here. And in the future, more people will show up and they'll like what they see and, and will add to our numbers. But as we grow in numbers, it's really important to understand that that's just the big, but we're after something much, much bigger. And that is deepened relationships and being on mission together. So I want to now look at, in contrast to the New Testament view of the early church, what is the issue, where is the state of our culture, and how does this affect the story of community that we see? So I'm going to just be honest about what I see in the culture, and I think a lot of it has to do with this really highly individualistic culture that we have, and I'm not just being openly critical of it, I'm just looking at uh, at it, analyzing it for a moment. The fact is, is that people are increasingly vocal about how lonely they feel. They will score higher now on, lo- on assessments saying, I'm more lonely, I'm more depressed. It's a fact that there's more antidepressants being prescribed. And, uh, and, and, and that's just, you know, it's, by the way, let me just pause for a second and say, I, I'm definitely not offering simple solutions to complex problems. I'm just merely saying, this is, this is the statistics as they exist today. You know, God says that it is not good for a man to be alone. And I figure that community has to be such a part of that because it's such a part of who we are. We are meant to live in community, not isolated. We are meant to live with people, in community, with people, with family, with friends, and doing life on a shared mission together. And if we don't have that, then it's, we're increasingly isolated. To kind of bring into the discussion a little bit of a book that I love, and I mentioned it last week if you were here, just in passing was this book, Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. It's a little bit of an older book, but it's a great observation of the last 25 years and the effects of loneliness and isolation in this sort of rugged individualistic culture. Here's some uh, observations that Robert Putnam had. I'm just going to share them with you. Some social changes in America in the last 25 years, um, playing cards. Anybody like to play cards? It's been down 25%, 25%. The number of bars and nightclubs, taverns, down 40% in America in 25 years. Gathering places are down, but coffee shops, oddly enough, are on the rise. Why are coffee shops on the rise? Because people go and sit at small tables alone to feel like they're in a group, but they don't, are not interacting with people around them. So they're set up so that they're very small and cut off from even conversations. So the number of full-service restaurants in America, right, down 25%, 25%. But fast food, in contrast, has doubled. So instead of a night out with friends at a, at a, uh, like a full-service restaurant, you pull into a drive-thru and you order from a clown. You know, food comes to you from a student in a uniform, and you eat by yourself while talking on your phone in your car. Then you drive to your home. The garage door opens. You go inside. You never meet your neighbors. The garage door closes, and you eat your, you know, your fast food. I mean, I don't know. Like, that's the, that's the way things are, are that's the way it is all, it, it's been moving in the last 20 years. Having a social event in the evening with your neighbors is down 35%. Can you believe that? The Bible says that we should love our neighbors, but we don't even know our neighbors a lot of times. Attending clubs and meetings is down 29%. Family dinners in the last 20 years, down 33%. 33%. Such a big part of, like, growing up in my family was eating dinner together, and now I treasure those times where we can have dinner together as a family, down 33%. Having friends over to your home, down 45%. 
I mean, it's crazy. Think about it. But it's reflected in so much of our lives, and we kind of don't take it for granted. And maybe some of you, you don't, you know, you weren't even around from before when, you know, before these statistics were taken. But in the last 20 years, this is the way that our culture has changed. Um, and then some good, by the way. Uh, so reflecting on the way we do architecture, it used to be we'd have like these large front porches. You could sit out, you could talk and visit with your neighbors and be seen. And now, you know, you would have like a large living room, perhaps, and a large dining room. And, and more increasingly, homes are being built so that additional space is not for those things, but instead are for, uh, you know, functions like a, like a large home office or a walk-in closet, home entertainment systems, places where you tend to be by yourself. And so we're not, we're not building large common spaces um, as frequently as we used to. And I think the mindset in, not all of this stuff, by the way, do I agree with either. I'm just telling you what he has said. And I, you know, I'm sharing it in this, in, in, from this perspective that our mindset now is that we've accepted that these things that, have dis- that are disconnecting us from each other are okay. And we're not really doing anything to combat that. But the, but the opportunity for the church is to do something to combat that and for Chi Alpha to do something to combat that. And from 1992, from 2000 to 2012, the amount of time spent caring for our pets is up 25%, up 25%. The time spent personal grooming, for whatever it's worth, up five to 7%. Watching movies, concerts, and sporting events is up, but participation in teams and leagues is down 30%. So basically, we're no longer a culture of participants, we're a culture of observers. We don't play sports, we watch other people play sports. And all of this, by the way, is even before the time when social media became a, a, a pervasive, you know, ubiquitous thing. And, and now, you know, a lot of times we get cr- a crick in our neck because we're just always looking down at my phone. I'm, I'm the biggest offender, by the way. I'm, I'm like, sometimes, you know, just put that thing away. You know, it's running my life too much. And there's nothing wrong with social media. I love it. I think there's huge opportunities in that. But in the sense that I have, you know, 1,500 friends on Facebook, perhaps, but then I could be alone as, a, as an American in my own home and feel very much isolated and lonely is a real problem. And so I think we just have to be awake to that in our culture and say, what, is, what does this all have to do with church? What is our opportunity? So I'm not on a big downer. I'm actually, on a, I'm a big believer in this generation because I think the opportunity is for young Christian men and women to make a huge difference in moving the culture in the other direction. I think there's a battle for the soul of this city, a battle for the soul of this generation. And here's the thing. It's not going to be won in a blog campaign. It's not going to be won on social media or even in the ballot box. It's not going to be won in the editorial column or in this, on social media at all. It's going to be won in the living rooms and in the kitchens and in the dining halls and on the porches and patios of our homes. It's going to be won in friendship and community. By whom? By people just like us, people on the mission, the church, who can show other people a different way, a way that looks you face-to-face, that cares about who you are, that will reach out, that will do the bigger thing, and not just accept that this is the way life is. What's big is, yeah, a parking lot full on Sunday, that's big. A space with kids downstairs full of kids, that's big. An auditorium that's packed out, that's big. But you know what's way bigger than any of that is you get together with two people, three people, and you pray together. You tell a tired mom that she's doing a great job. You tell a depressed student or just a discouraged student, you know what? You'll get through this. You've got this. I'll be there for you. 
You sit with somebody who is sitting alone. That's way bigger. You invite someone to join a church or, or go to a group or, uh, or go on a hike with you. That is way bigger. You stand with a couple, a married couple, and you encourage them to fight for your marriage. I will do what I can to be there for you and to fight with you. That is way bigger. You visit someone in the hospital room. That's way bigger. You know, if you ask me how many people attend your church, that's, I'll answer the question, but you know what? That doesn't thrill me as much as all of the things that I see going on around Canyon Creek Church where relationships are igniting and people are doing things for one another and serving and engaging in community. The stuff like, like uh, you're going to hear in just a moment about family promise that on the Palouse where we're meeting the needs of homeless families all across the Palouse. We are making a difference in this community. That's the stuff that thrills me even more. So I guess in closing, I want to ask you this, uh, this question. How can you help build community? How can you like, be a part of Venture, be a part of Canyon Creek Church, and build community? And I think a couple of different ways. Number one, you can commit to joining a growth group. We're going to be starting them up in the fall. There are small group systems. If you're a student, you can go to life groups at Chi Alpha. They're really the same thing. There's just an opportunity for you to grow and hang out and, and, and get, just get more information, but get more transformation as you're with people that are like-minded and on the same mission that you are. You can, anyone can do that, by the way. You can lead or host a group. We're going to be starting groups up in the fall. We're looking for leaders and hosts right now, and we will support you, and we will help you in that process. Uh, we want you to invite others to join you in, in things that you're already doing. So if you're going out afterwards for lunch, you know, maybe you can invite somebody to go with you and build community that way. You, if you're going on a hike afterwards, bring somebody with you. You know, broaden your guest list. Invite someone to sit with you or sit with someone else like we talked about with uh, the, the back-to-school weekend happening next weekend. You can volunteer on a guest care team. There's lots that you can do to build community. But you know what you have to do? You have to, you have to intentionally do it. And that's the thing about, like, you know, talks about community and, and sharing opportunity is that sometimes they just come at you and you just sort of, like, they wash over. But, the, some, you know, at some point you've got to sit with your decision and go, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to join a guest care team. I'm actually going to sign up for a growth group this year. I'm actually, you know what, there's this couple that goes to my church and, you know, I, I see them, they look really nice and I'd like to get to know them better. I'm going to invite them to go out and have lunch with me after the service. Those kinds of things are concrete ways that you can respond to today's message. If you want to be that Acts 2 kind of church, it's sacrificial love in motion. If you want to be like the, you know, culture is, just kind of keep going with the flow because the flow will carry you and you'll be carried along like all of us are down, you know, down this uh, unstoppable thing called culture. But the way that you influence culture is you change the values that are driving it. And you know what? You can't stand up with a bullhorn and do that. You can do it one life at a time. You can do it by building community right here in Moscow, Idaho, right there at the University of Idaho campus. Over in Pullman, you can choose to build community. That's my encouragement for you today. So there's, there's tons of ways to respond. The choice is yours.